We need to talk about ideas, good ones and bad ones. We need to learn stuff about the world. We need an honest, intelligent, thought-provoking, and entertaining review of what the hell happened on this planet in the last seven days. We need to sit back and listen to the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Yes, welcome back, dear listener. This is the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove podcast, and we've got a slightly different podcast for you this evening. So normally, if you're... uh, if you're familiar with this podcast, we talk about uh, news and politics, sex and religion. We talk about the events of the week and and have a sort of a current affairs discussion, and usually about Australia and about the wider world. But this particular episode, we're just going to confine ourselves to the Bible, of all things. So I've, well, with the velvet glove uh, scurrying off to Rockhampton, I've, I've gathered together my mates, <laughs> my other friends, <laughs> and there's four of us here. So I, of course, am Trevor the Iron Fist. With me, as always, is Paul the Twelfth Man. G'day, Trevor. And uh, sometimes with us, um, Hugh Harris. G'day. And special guest for the first time, Peter. G'day. So there's four of us, four privileged white guys. Yep. All of us <laughs> atheists. That's right. That's right. Uh, we're going to sit around and talk about the Bible and, and basically um, talk about the historical accuracies and inaccuracies in the inaccuracies in the Bible and things that may be, because I'm assuming, dear listener, if you're tuning into this podcast, you're probably atheist. You may not be. You're pro-secular probably. But um, these are the sorts of things that people who haven't grown up in a religious environment may not know. And indeed, if you've grown up in a religious environment, you still may not know about sort of historical aspects about the Bible and the Gospels and when they were written, who wrote them, um, we'll try and sort of expose a few misconceptions about the Bible. That's the plan for for the podcast. So we've got some rough outlines of what we want to talk about, but uh, this is one where it could go anywhere. So <laughs> if you're in the chat room, feel free to make some comments. Uh, Tony's in the chat room and his first comment is, we'll listen tomorrow at bedtime for me. Have fun. Well, that's... <laughs> Tony, <laughs> Tony, that's Come on, Tony. It's a niche, to- it's a niche topic. <laughs> it's only half past seven. <laughs> it's 8.30 in the other states. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Still. So uh, with me is Peter, who's a mate of mine from University Days. And Peter, why don't you explain, you've got an amateur interest in the Bible yeah. And what's your background and what's your thoughts on the Bible as sort of introductory comments? Yeah, okay. Um, I think uh, for me, I'm a, I am describe myself as a non-expert. And, and it's an important point for me uh, because I see a lot of debate, I see a lot of comment about these sort of topics and I can see a lot of people who re- I think, I'm not sure they really know what they're talking about and they haven't done any work and they haven't done any research. Um, uh, I think there's, if you're going to have a talk about this sort of topic, I think it's important to acknowledge that, look, you're not an expert. All you're doing is you're reading, you know, mm. um, and everything that you have to say is really just, it's really just subject to the next thing that you read or the next thing that you find out from other people that you have discussions with. Mm-hmm. So I think it follows from that that debates between non-experts aren't really very helpful because people are really just saying, well, this is what I know, but it really is, well, it should come with a big caveat. Well, there's a limit to what I know. Mm. Um, experts are different. Experts, the people out there, it's their life, it's their life's work. You know, they've got PhDs, they can read ancient manuscripts. Um, they work full time. They're professors at universities. Doesn't mean they're right, but you know, uh, experts are experts. I think the non-expert is a non-expert. Um, the issue here is that I'm, for me, I'm, I'm just someone who has an interest in history, ancient history, um, raised Catholic, but you know, sort of 
lost my sort of faith when I was at university. Um, and now I'm really just interested in the Bible just generally as a historical document, a literary mm. document, and and its place in the world. It is, I think it is true, it's the most published book in the history of the Western world. Um, well, China helped a lot with that, didn't it? <laughs> um, uh, not the most successful or the most sold. That's a Harry Potter book, I think. But, uh, right. but, um, but it is the most published book and one of the things I've read is that there's a lot of people who would say they don't really know anything about the Bible, they don't read the Bible, but if you ask them their knowledge of ancient history, a lot of people would probably refer to things which really have a biblical origin. They don't have any origin in textbooks or anything mm. like that, but a lot of people's knowledge of ancient history and things like Indeed. that probably come from the Bible because it's just part of popular culture. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, so we're going to talk about experts, and I guess we can talk about what experts say about different aspects and, and look at their arguments and see how they stack up, because we can always refer to the source material and, yeah. and see whether that stacks up. Hugh Harris, um, you've obviously been on holidays recently because your Facebook activity has spiked. It's lit up, yeah. lit up over Christmas. And you've, <laughs> you, you love to get into running discussions with our friend John Dixon, don't you? I do, and I, I do. I, I really relate to what Peter was just saying there about being a non-expert. And so I'm a non-expert and... Typically, I'm debating with people who at least consider themselves to be experts. Mm-hmm. So if anyone followed the little debate I had with John Dixon over Christmas, you recall that he spent most of it telling me that he was the expert and that I hadn't read any books. And even at one stage, he um, he posted a picture of a bookshelf in his reply, <laughs> in his reply to one of my posts, yes. which I don't think is quite as outrageous as what it might seem given that Yes, to Peter's point, he is more of an expert in this area than me, but there is also uh, I really do feel that he's pushing the limits and pushing his own point of view in his in his own expertise and particularly his uh his book he's recently written on the historicity of Jesus and how we how we understand history. I've read a lot of um, of what Bart De, Bart De Yerman has um, said, and I find him to be quite objective. Uh, and um, in my um, discussions with John, where he was everything that I wrote, he was coming back to me and basically saying, "Well, you haven't read all the books, so therefore you don't know what you're talking about." So I got a bit frustrated with that, and so I posted a a quote from Bart Dierman without letting John know that it was a quote from Bart Dierman. And Bart Dierman, for the listeners out there who may not know, is um, a recognised one of the world's leading uh, scholars in the Gospels, a biblical uh, textual critic and also historian, and has written numerous books on the subject. He's much more of a an expert on on these matters than than my. Uh, than John than John is, mm-hmm. so I quote, quoted an extended quote from him, and John responded by telling me that I was an idiot and hadn't read any books and yeah. uh, infantile sort of arguments. infantile argument. And then I posted back to him and told him the mistake that he had made that this was actually in a word for word quote from a biblical scholar who was more qualified than him. And then he deleted my comments, and that was the end of the discussion. Hugh <laughs> Harris, you have far too much time on, on your hands to be. To be doing this. It takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of effort. It, I find it really useful, though, because I am very interested in the Bible, as Peter was saying. I mm. think it's a fascinating document. I think the um, Beatitudes, um, the Sermon on the Mount, the, the Gospels are fascinating to read. Mm. Some parts of the Bible are just bizarre to read. Mm. Uh, it's such an influential book that I find it 
fascinating. And if I'm debating someone like John Dixon, who has the advantage of a much better knowledge of all of the literature on it, I find it useful to expand my own knowledge and research things and still mm. be able to find holes mm. in in the argument. Now, Peter, you were brought up a Catholic. Yes. I was brought up a Catholic as well, 12 years of Catholic yep. schooling. Yeah. Really, I've, in my experience, there are very, very few references to the Bible in my education. Absolutely. And... and uh, there was no examination of it in the way that the sort of um, the Protestants do. Uh, That's right. That's the, right. The, the Catholics largely ignore the Bible and just uh, rely on yeah. on statements from the Pope. Would that be true? Well, I think that's I think that's fair. I think my experience is that the, in the I'm not sure it's the right term, but traditional or the established religions, the the experts there, the educated people there, I think they are quite well aware of the fragility of the material. Mm. So they tend to couch their statements in terms of belief. Yep. It's, that's my belief. Mm. Um, the If it's evangelist, I don't know what the right word is, but the, the more modern sort of religions, they're more along the line of, well, it's the word, it's 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 God's word. Mm. And uh, they very, uh, it, it's the, that, it's, that it's true or that it's right and that if you disagree with it, you're wrong. Whereas the, I think the more established religions, they keep to that. Well, that's my belief, and if you don't believe that, well, you know, mm. you know, they still say you're going to hell, but you know, <laughs> but but if you if you don't believe that, well, that's that's your belief. So they don't they don't push it as hard. So when we were at school, um, yeah, no, they didn't teach us anything about the Old Testament. Uh, they didn't teach us really anything about how Jesus was fulfilling the Old Testament. By the time you get to, I don't know when it happened, but there's a point in history where. Um, well, it was obvious that if Jesus is coming back, he's not coming back soon because there's been a lot of time has gone by. So eventually the Catholic faith had to get on to other things and so they resort to the other things that are in the Gospels, the, the sayings of Jesus, you know, the, mm. the nice things, the mm. stuff like, um, you know, put others before you and, you know, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And mm. They're the things that dominated our teachings mm. when we were at school, which were really at the time when the Bible was coming together were not as important as all the other sort of stuff. But I think with the affliction of time, uh, the faith changes. And, yeah, we were only ever taught this, all the nice stuff, mm, yeah. you know, the nice sayings. Yeah, you know, yeah, we went to regular mass. I mean, I was an altar boy. Yeah. And it seems to me, thinking back, that it was the same old uh, letters of St Paul to the Corinthians or whatever that were rehashed over and over again. Like That's they, right. they, yeah. they had a sort of a a top ten hits that would get a good run and you yeah. wouldn't hear too much of anything That's else. Right. But, Hugh, you, you, you weren't brought up in a religious not, environment. Not at all. No, and 12th man? Um, I was sent to Sunday school for many years as a child and then confirmed as a teenager. Right. I think really out of social custom more than sure. strong belief in the family. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Peter, different versions of the Bible? Uh, what, yeah, what's out there? Well, it's worth talking about. Um, one of the things I think that frustrates the if a secular person wants to understand more about the Bible, um, one of the things they come upon is this question of uh, this issue of there's so many versions. So if you go to a um, and you can go to these things, these sort of exhibitions on Bibles and things like that, and there are a lot of Bibles that have been published over time. Um, look, the traditional distinction is between the Catholic Bible and the Protestant Bible. So the Catholic Bible was for, first put together. Uh, when well, when Constantine, the Roman Emperor, converted to Christianity, he commissioned a Bible in Latin. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's about in the 300s. Um, and 
that Catholic version of the Bible. That's what Gutenberg then printed, you know, which he got into trouble for. Right. Um, and he printed it in Latin and eventually it gets translated he, into He got English. into trouble? Uh, yeah, well, it was, it was uh, the, the mass production of the Bible was, right. a, was which, a serious, which, it was a controversial thing. Right, really which, because it allowed people to take the time to read it themselves uh, rather I, I, than I having so. a copy yeah, ensconced right, yeah. in the church yeah, and, wasn't, and where the priest wasn't was in charge of it. That sort sense, of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So haven't, haven't most people who've done any writing to do with the Bible been put to death? Well, that's right, yeah. It was a very controversial right. sort of thing. So, okay. so the Catholic Bible's gone through translation from, from Hebrew to Greek to Latin to English. Yep. So I think... Having said that, I think really that the, you really should put the sort of Catholic Bible aside. The other Bible then is the Protestant Bible, and um, uh, the Protestant Bible starts with Martin Luther discarding the parts of the Catholic Bible that he didn't think were canonical, um, and then under the reign of King Charles, uh, um, King James, uh, King James, an authorized version was then written in the 1600s, and that's the version that they've stuck with for a very, very long time. Right. They're the two main ones. Um, would, would there be any real difference between them? Yeah. Uh, well, yes, there, there's a, there actually is a big, big difference right. b- between them. But, 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 can I go on to say today the situation is much improved because the ecumenical movements across the churches have all come together and they've decided that uh, they've developed new Bibles. So the one that I like to read is the New International Version. So the scholars now go back to the original, the best original Hebrew for the Old Testament and the best original uh, Greek manuscripts for the New Testament. They go to the original source material and try to build the Bible up from there rather than stick with this sort of uh, trying to reinterpret a Bible that's been through many different phases of interpretation and, and reproduction. So, so, so the New International Version is a great Bible. Um, I think that and the King James, they're the two main sort of additions, mm-hmm. if, if you want to do that. And there is a big difference between the two. Um, the King James is said to be uh, a word-for-word translation. So if, if the word is that, that's mm-hmm. the word here. So, for example, the words may be... Um, uh, you shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Um, uh, somebody might say, well, that means you're going to hell. But no, no, that, they're the words. They're the words in the Bible. Um, references to, say, homosexuals in Paul's letters. Uh, the New International Version will say homosexual because the word in Greek translated directly to English is homosexual. Right. Okay. Uh, but, the, but the King James Version would say uh, men who uh, defile themselves with other men or something like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They're the words from the King James Version. That's that's the words that you'll see in the current version of the King James Version. Right. So so there is this uh, distinction in Bible translation between word for word and meaning for meaning, yep. and those it's a it's a divide that can't really be bridged. I suspect. I think you have to have, if you really would like to understand more about the Bible, I think it's better to actually have both of them and compare. But you can see there are there are real there are real mm. differences between the words. Mm. There are. Yep. Okay. So. The main parts, well, we've got the Old Testament, the New Testament, mm. and uh, with the New Testament, we've got the four Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Yes. Hold the horse while I get on. Yeah. That's how I remember them. <laughs> First time I've heard that. So let's talk about uh, those four Gospels and what we know about them. So, you know, in my Catholic upbringing, I just assumed that it was all written by the particular yep. apostles that you hear about. That's and, my recollection too. And that, you know, the, the, the gospel according to John was according to an apostle John and he wrote it and yep. he wrote it at the time that he was running around with Jesus and he was telling the story, the biographical details of 
That's the what life I, that's of what Jesus. I pretty much is, presumed as well. Yeah. And looking up uh, when I was debating John on all this, looking up the um, sources online from Biblica online and the Bible resources, they continue to maintain that that's that's who wrote them. Right. Travelling really? companion of uh, of uh, Paul wrote one. John, who was a personal. Uh, very close member of Jesus and all of that. They 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 seem to it's, perpetuate these myths. It's surprising because I had thought that it, there's just no question that the Gospels are anonymous documents. They don't have they don't have names. Well, I was surprised to find that out yeah. as as not a as not a Bible reader to hear Bart Dermot Derman yeah. explain that they're all they don't even claim to be written by people. No, that's right. When you read yeah, the documents, right, yeah, they're so. anonymous. So, for example, what you can do is that the the um the oldest surviving copies of the new testament uh, there are a couple of them um uh, they uh, i can't remember the names of them but they're in museums and they date from around the 300s and the 400s um some of them are online so you can go to the website you can and you can see the original text mm. and you can see where the word, where the greek letters are there's no titles the the the, chat, the books of the Bible don't come with titles. I was reading the so other day. So they're not there. But if, but, if, but if you look higher up, above in, say, like the header, you can see some notes. Yes. There's names. And you can see the names of the apostles. You can see, if you can read the Greek letters, if you know your Greek alphabet, you can read them and you can see, so above Mark, so it says Marcus them? above that. Who named them and who decided they were, they, well, they I were think written this is, by Hugh's these got a, Hugh's been, I think, I've read something about that recently and Bart Ehrman was saying that the names don't apply to the Gospels, like the Gospel according to Matthew. The Matthew doesn't appear till Irenaeus in uh, CE Common Era 180, which is over 100 years after the, the books were apparently in circulation. Yeah, and that's my understanding too, that it's, a, it's become a legend or a story evolved that um, they had to give the, had to give the names to them. Mm. Um, but that, that, and that's, that's quite, that was normal. So, for example, what I've read is that even with the Old Testament, um, the, the first book of the Bible, Genesis, um, that that's not the original word. The, the Hebrews, I think the tradition was the Hebrews would give the name, which was the first couple of letters. So I think the original name of the first book in the Jewish scripture is Bereshith, which means in the beginning, because they're the first couple of words of the text, in the beginning. Mm. It's when the Old Testament was translated to Greek by, by Jews living in Egypt, in Alexandria, in about 300 BC, um, the Greek word, they, they adopted a different title for it. So they gave it the word Genesis. Mm. Uh, but Genesis is different from in the beginning. Genesis means the start of something, not in the beginning. It's slightly different words. So a number of the books of the Old Testament, we know them just by their Greek title, not the original mm. Hebrew title. Mm, yeah. So yeah. It, it sort of it seems to be well established. There's this attribution of titles. Mm. Um from from the get go, yeah. and, and yet mm-hmm. Jewish scholars are not sort of uh, actively trying to get Christians to change the names back to the original Hebrew. No, they don't names. care. They I don't, don't think care. they don't care. They don't yeah. recognise Jesus. Yeah. Uh, the Jews don't really recognise yeah. Jesus yeah. As, as as anybody. Yeah, yeah. they yeah. don't care. Yeah. So um, looking at these uh, four gospels, so well, when did Jesus live? And uh, the best guess is that he was born somewhere around eight BCE and died somewhere around thirty to thirty three CE. Yeah. So uh, that's the best guess that scholars come up with. And 
from my reading, well, I'm going to quote a little bit, dear listener, from a book called uh, Nailed, 10 Christian Myths That Show Jesus <laughs> Never Existed at All. Now, in it, this particular author, David Fitzgerald, doesn't necessarily come to the conclusion that Jesus didn't exist at all, and we'll get to the whole <laughs> mythicism argument later on. But he does provide a lot of interesting material about the Bible, and I highly recommend this book to you I'm as a starting to it. Yes, point. Can I have that next? Yeah, <laughs> you can. So what he said is that um, let's look at, at which of the Gospels or when were they written. And basically the, the, the scholars are saying that the first um, book would have been Mark, and they're saying that that was um, basically written no uh, earlier than the mid-70s. So roughly 40 years after Jesus died is when the book of Mark or the Gospel of Mark was written. That's a long time. And most people would have no idea that there was a 40-year gap between the death of Jesus and the writing of, of the first Gospel. Yep. So, and to think that an, that an apostle, the chances that an apostle would still be alive. Hmm. Are you know vanishingly slim by mm-hmm. every year that goes by, given that people used to live to about forty years of age in those days. Or less. Yeah. Oh, I have, yeah. a, I have, although I have it differently that the the, um, the the average age because of war, famine, etc. The average age could be a bit misleading. They, I have read differently that they think maybe people did live just as long as we did. It's just not many of them. Once they got, <laughs> once, once they got past the age of five because of uh, yeah. infant mortality yeah. would have been so, so but, high. But mm. clerics, for example, pe- there were yes. people who were looked after. So, so, so clerics may have stood a better chance of living longer. So Josephus, which we'll talk about, yeah. he, he lived yeah. to a ripe he, old age. Yeah, so, yeah. so it's possible that, um, you know, if, if, say, Jesus had followers... Uh, who are 30 when he was executed at 30 or say, um, you only need one of them, you know, of all of them to last the distance and you might have an eye, you possibly might have an eyewitness there. So I think it is it is credible that there could have been people still alive then. They don't have to be Peter or, or you know, or Simon, et cetera, but, mm. but it, is, it is credible that amongst followers people could have lived that long and, and one, still have been but, around? Yeah, yeah it's, I, think it's, I think it's unlikely but credible. Oh, yeah, it's credible. Yeah, it's not like they, they'd be 70 years old. Yeah. Mm. It's not like in Genesis where they live to 900 and 1,000 years old no, and right. they wait till mm. they're 650 yeah. years old to have a child. <laughs> 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 What's the hurry? <laughs> so anyway, Mark, uh, the Gospel of Mark, first one um, is what scholars consider uh, roughly 40 years after the death of Jesus and... One of the reasons is because it alludes to the destruction of the temple, which occurred yes. around that time. Uh, next one would be the book of Matthew, and we know it comes after Mark because it plagiarises a lot of Mark. So the fact that you can yes. actually just find these huge yes. swaths of text that come straight out of Mark means, oh, Matthew copied Mark. Okay, That's only in recent scholarship. For, for many, many years they considered Mark to be the, the inferior gospel Right to the others, and it's only in the last uh, two hundred years of textual criticism that they've figured out that Mark was first. Okay, there we go. Next, we've got Luke, and we know Luke was post Matthew because it plagiarizes fifty percent of Mark and ninety percent of Matthew, <laughs> <laughs> and he also uh, plagiarized Josephus, so he's post Josephus. Oh, I haven't read that. Mm. I didn't know so, that. This is according again to okay. this book. So. And um, so that would put it uh, somewhere around the turn of the first century for um, because Josephus was writing 
around the 97 CE. Uh, yeah, well, Josephus yeah. started writing yeah. after the destruction of the temple yes. in 70 AD yep. when he was captured by the Romans. So, yeah, he, he, he was writing between 70 and, um, well, 90, late yeah. 90s. Yep. And then the last one, um, John, which could be early to mid-2nd century. Can't be sure. So all four Gospels were originally anonymous and they've got lots of historical inaccuracies and lots of internal conflicts. So um, there's a lot of issues in in it. Um, One of the things actually that came from this book is just the different way that Jesus is treated by these Gospels. And again, you don't get any of this in a Catholic upbringing, but... In uh, in Mark, the first one, Jesus is a fallible, suffering human. In Matthew, Jesus is more Jewish and more perfect. In Luke, Jesus is serene um, and unflappable. And in John, Jesus is a superman without Clark Kent, as it's described. <laughs> he knows he is God, and he's a Republican Jesus who hates Jews, and he's the boss. Like it's a... <laughs> So, oh, okay. as, 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 as the he's, he's sounding slightly opinionated. Why haven't this author, Trevor? I haven't come across this research. No. <laughs> no, but, well, it'd be interesting. I mean, he, and Could I'm, I... I'm giving you summary here, yeah. but he gives excerpts of there the sorts go. of things that are yeah. said about Jesus and and how, um, in Mark, he's a fallible, suffering human. Oh, why have you done to this to me? Sort of thing. And in the end, he's like on the cross, and he's like, "Come on, is that your best shot? <laughs> Hit me hard, sort of thing." Like, <laughs> When you read the excerpts, they are there. So they're, they're yeah. very different sort of visions of Jesus in the different Gospels. Would like. you agree with that, Peter? Look, the hard thing for me is that the uh, I think there's a different story about the Bible, which is its history as a compilation, how it all comes together. The individual books is a complicated topic. When I mean, you write a thesis on any one of these sort of things, so the reading of the individual books is hard. Like, So, for example, you try to ask somebody, well, what are the common elements between all the Gospels? I, I just don't think you'd finish that. I just don't think you'd finish writing that out. It's really, really complicated. So I, I think the hard bit for me is that I tend to sort of try to focus on the things that are common rather than the differences. Mm. Um, I, I think the, the things in common between all four are very, I think they're very actually brief. The only things that all four have in common are uh, the crucifixion, uh, the Last Supper, uh, the Resurrection, and um, the Baptist, the sort of the connection between Jesus and the Baptist. But I'm, I'm not sure if, if there's any other element which is common across all four. So, uh, so that, that'd be sort of my focus of looking at the Gospels is that what, what I'm only really interested in thinking about them in terms of what do they reveal about this, the real person. Um, and they've actually only got a few things... All, all four. They've only mm. got a few things that are all in common. Mm. Yeah, I think that's an important point. Uh, the thing that I was reflecting on from what you just said there was that in John, uh, Jesus ascribes himself as God. He continually say, he continually says that before Moses, I am, and he yes. he was he claims he's God. But in the other three, he doesn't claim he's God at all. He only talks mm. about the kingdom to come in the other three. So yeah. that's a complete difference yeah, in focus. Definitely a progression across the Gospels of, I mean, the common thing is to say, and as it says in the Gospels, who, who, who am I? Who do, you, who do people say I am? Who do you say I am? That's a common thing for Jesus. Who, who was this person? So, I mean, if Mark's the first, the story of Mark starts with, well, the story of Jesus starts with Jesus just coming over the hill to be baptised by John the Baptist. And the Baptist says, this is the guy. This is the guy I've been talking about. Um, when then Matthew and Luke come along, 
um, oh, sorry, I should say, go, go back. And when he's baptised, this voice comes from the sky, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. So Mark, Mark identifies Jesus as the son of God at that point. When Matthew and Luke come along, they tell the story of the virgin birth, that it goes back to the birth. But when you get to John, which is the last, John, John retells the position about John the Baptist. He skips the virgin birth and then he pushes Jesus out into sort of like the cosmos almost. You know, the, in the beginning there was the word and the word was with God, et cetera, et cetera. So John a takes a mythical it, figure? Well, um, well, it takes um, it back to Genesis, the beginning yep, when yep. there was light and things yep. like that. It, it, it really takes it right back. So why he skips the virgin birth, I, I don't know, but my, my suspicion is that he thought it wasn't credible. <laughs> he, he thought it wasn't really – it wasn't a good selling point. The, the, the virgin birth is a difficult uh, topic for some to accept. Um, there is good evidence this particular Greek philosopher, Celsus, who's recorded as um, – he was very anti-Christian and he wrote a lot about that. Um, one of his criticisms is you've just made up this virgin birth story. It's, it's not real. Um, so I don't know. And that was written around – that was maybe – Celsus was about 115 AD, which is around about the time of John's Gospel. Hmm. So – Maybe it wasn't a good selling point, and he had to come up. He decided to come up with a different explanation for if you if you believe Jesus was the Son of God or God, how do I explain this? He constructed this broader story. Virgin birth wasn't altogether an original idea, though, was it? In the ancient world, what I've read is according to the mythicist, the the, the say Bob Price, he says he could relate every story in the gospel he can find if he goes to the prior literary art base he can find a pagan analogy or a pagan story with that reflects that. that that's what yep. he says. Yep. I haven't followed that all through, but that's what the mythicist would say, yeah. Mm. Yep. Um, so, I mean, we know today how quickly news can be distorted in a matter of a week. <laughs> 40 years later and you've yeah. got an agenda to push where you're kind of pushing a, a, a religious idea that you're promoting, it's just... It, it's such an open field for misadventure where you could say and do anything and well, that's what, right. it's hard to disprove. It, it beggars belief. And um, But the argument that's been put forward for a long time, and John Dixon puts this argument forward in his book, is that in ancient cultures oral traditions were much different than they are today and they were much more reliable, that you could pass something on for generations and generations and that it would stay consistent. And so, therefore, you need to trust in testimony um, uh, and that's what gives you history. Uh, But Bart Ehrman uh, argues in contrast to that that when you look at the cultures that survive today uh, that have passed on oral traditions from time to time, from um, generation to generation, that the the stories aren't reliable at all. They they change according to the message the person who is telling the tale wants to uh, select. So it it's actually a lot worse than what the best story of the Christian apologists is. There's no way that those stories stay consistent. And I think the Gospels they, are the they, perfect example of how you can see the the emphasis of each story changing according to what that author felt was an important message with important things appearing in one gospel that hadn't appeared before, such as the Sermon on the Mount, only appearing in one of the gospels. Mm. Mm. And there are other indicia, like Jesus had, according to the gospels, no friends around him during his trial, but how do we get the dialogue between him and Pilate and him and Herod? 
It's literary. It's a literary work. It's it's not really. They wouldn't have even been able to speak in the same language because pilots spoke the in idea Latin. That that's a and Jesus spoke in of the Aramaic. Trial. That's that's not really probable. Not no one would know. Jesus yeah, so. talking to himself in the desert. Yeah. So yes. So, but but there still is the question of what 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 is, what is there that possibly can be salvaged from there for the secular person who wants to understand if you accept Jesus as a real person. Yep. Before we get on to yeah. that, I'll just make one other point. If John Dixon was sort of talking about the reliability of the oral tradition of storytelling. Yes. But in this book, uh, Nailed, he makes the point that the first century is considered one of the best documented periods in ancient history. Yes. Like the Romans were running around recording all sorts of shit. Like they were writing stuff down about all sorts of events. There were people who were scribes and historians who were writing multi-volume um, accounts of of all sorts of things. Yeah. And so he says in this book that, um, uh, you know, you've got ancient records that categorically conflict with many of the events in the Bible. So, for example, one of the stories in the Bible is that Herod slaughtered all these male infants because he was told that there was this sort of new king was going to be yes. born and in, to make sure that that didn't come along and usurp him, he had all the male children killed. And yes. um, you've heard that story in the Bible. It's a story in Matthew. It's a story in Matthew. Yeah. It's it's a there's the that's in the Gospel of Matthew. Isn't it's in Matthew. It? With, uh, well, because Matthew is believed to be more directed to a Hebrew audience, the yeah. it, it's an example of as as Moses uh, came out of Egypt, Jesus also fled. They yeah. fled to Egypt, and then when the coast was clear, they came back from Egypt as well. So, yeah. a, but there were historians at the time who were writing about you know the life of Herod yes. and people who were in his court and and people who were real enemies of Herod who took great delight in writing mm. about all the shit that he did because he killed yes. two of his sons or something like that. Oh, yeah. um, so, and these people who were writing lots and who would have clearly been motivated to write about yep. this enormous event yep. had nothing to say about it. So it's, <laughs> it, these are, the, you the, know. There's, the, 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 there's the, also the story which is related of, I think it was during Herod's time, that I think it's in Matthew that there was supposedly a census and that everyone, and this was how the gospel writer got Jesus to Bethlehem from yes. Nazareth in order to justify the prophecy that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem. Right. And the and the story was the for a tax census. There was a tax census where all of the world, and in meaning all of Rome, had to go back to where their lineage came from. Yes. And because Jesus was of the line of David, he had to go back to Bethlehem. Yes. And... Jesus or Jesus' dad? Jesus' uh, parents. Yeah, Joseph. Jesus' dad. His real dad, His virgin mother. Yeah. <laughs> and um, But the, the story was that he had to go back there to fulfil... Yes, the census requirement. Fill that yeah. census requirement, yet there was no census. Indeed. And, and nor could there be. How could you imagine having well, to go back a thousand years well, into your past in those days? Well, well, there was one about 70 years later. Yeah. And that's one of the things is how... They date well. They're talking about a tax census, oh. and the first one was about seventy years later. Yeah, yeah. So that they knew about this sort of idea means it must have been written at least seventy years mm. at that point. It's there one of go. the sort of dating Make, things sense. that happens, but yeah. um, but certainly it's a period of time when um, very clever people uh, had a lot of time to just write and record what was going on. And these people, um, so in the book, he talks about contemporaries 
of Jesus, so we're living at the time who you would expect to have written about him, uh, Seneca the Younger, Gallio, Justice of Tiberius, Nicolaus of Damascus and Philo of Alexandria, just some examples of guys whose job was and activity I, was. I have read that it's unreasonable to expect Philo of Alexandria to have written of Jesus because he was he was in Egypt the whole time and only travelled to Jerusalem after Jesus' death. But if you take the view that Jesus was famous throughout Syria, like he was a famous figure according to the Bible. Yeah, okay. Uh, but I think, I think that, but the important possibly. point is, though, uh, that, that, I mean, you sort of have to take a, you have to understand what's the position being taken. So, for example, if, if the idea is that you want to discuss this with someone who believes that the, the Bible is the spoken, is the inspired words of God and everything in that's true, then, yes, I understand why you would go through and say, well, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. But if you're talking to somebody who – well, no, I don't – that's not my proposition. My proposition is just that I, I accept the existence of the real person and the, the issue for me is that there's just so little there. It's so hard. It's, it's almost – it's all cloudy and what is there that you could understand about the real person? But you also have to accept on the other side that, well, if you accept he was a real person – this person inspired this movement which grew these churches which eventually, well, caused a Roman emperor to convert and et cetera, et cetera. So between this having hardly any evidence and this, and you know what, well, if you accept he was real, you have to accept, well, he was responsible for this movement, which I'm sure at some point snowballed and, you know, it really have, may have had nothing to do with anything he ever said or did. But well, As but, in the life of Brian. <laughs> but, yeah, yes. that's right. <laughs> but, but in between there, what, what can you say about the Bible which, which reveals something that might be true? That, that's, that, for me, that's the thing. So, mm-hmm. I, I, um, I, 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 of course, there's many things that are in the Bible that are inaccurate, et cetera, because they're just really stories. But, yes. but underneath it... Um, is there anything there that's reliable or that that, that could reveal? Well, is there anything in value? Perhaps I mean whether it's yeah. true or not. That's right. Doesn't really matter. Yeah. Is there yeah. something of value? So, I guess one of the arguments from religious groups is that we get a moral code out of Christianity, and that Jesus mm. was the first to come out. This is their allegation that first to come out and say. You know, forgive your enemies, uh, love love mm. your enemies. Yep. Um, that sort of thought process was perhaps the first time that had been said. Is it kind it, of se- what it seems credible to think that that wasn't the um, general knowledge or the general opinion in those days that love your enemies, turn the other cheek. Mm. I mm. think that uh, the Sermon on the Mount does have valuable lessons that could still mm. apply today. Except for an idea like... Um, the golden rule, treat people like you would like to be treated yourself yes. is something mm. that was been yeah. around for 5,000 years. Well, and, Confucius. And, yeah, and, uh, and, well, and other sources. Give me an example. What so, about, what about um, the story that uh, the question of should, uh, should the Jews pay the, poll, the, the, the tax to Caesar? Yes. Right. I mean, that, that, I can't remember which gospel that's from, but that's not a divine statement. That's not about divinity or anything like that. This idea, he says, mm. well, Give unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Mm. I think that's relied on by secularists as well right. about the whole separation of church and state. I mean, it, that's mm. that's that's not a divine statement. That's not about the end of the world or anything like that. 
that's just a saying that's attributed to I, Jesus. I, I don't know whether it's true. I don't or know that but, they'd rely on it, but they just throw it in as if you believe in the Bible. Well, if you believe in that, then you've got to go with that. Here's an yeah, argument. We'll have a look which, at that. Which, yeah. which, but yeah. but yes. it's not particularly divine. It's not no. But it is a saying of yeah, Jesus, and I think player. it is something which people do point to and say, "Well, what mm. what about that?" Um, and the other one is the um, but, let he use without sin cast the first stone. That yeah. that story of. Uh, uh, the law, they say, Lord, the, the law of Moses says this woman should be stoned because she's committed adultery. What do you yeah. say? And he said, oh, well, let he who has no sin cast the first stone. And yeah. that that's then also then used as a principle. Uh, I, I can understand how it was. It had a purpose in the Gospels to say, look, you Gentiles, you don't need to obey the law of Moses. You don't have to follow the Jewish path. There's an alternative path forward for you. That was what Paul was talking about, and I think that's what the Gospels are talking about. But it is also picked up by people as well. It sounds like a fairly sensible principle in life as well. I'm sure we can accept that there's some good principles yeah. in the Bible, yeah. but we can also accept that there's some horrendous principles yes, in the Bible. Yes, yes, yes. And then what happens is people make a choice and they cherry pick and they say, well, exactly. clearly. Mm. I think this is a good idea and I think that's a bad idea. And if you're capable of making that choice, then you don't need the Bible in the first place because you're really saying you've given me a lot of multiple choice options here and I'm just picking the ones that I think are a good idea. So you're not actually relying on the Bible. It's just Mm. a... uh, it's just a lucky dip where you're picking out principles and going, I'm going to discard it or I'm going to adopt it. And you don't really need – the Bible isn't telling you which parts of the Bible to take. It's just giving you a whole bunch of stuff. And so really Much of its it. value is a lot less because each person has to uh, make that decision for themselves. It's a kind of so bag not, of licorice all sorts of morality in a sense. Yeah, yeah. and mm. each person is really – deciding for themselves what's correct morally and you can't say they're getting it from the Bible because at the same time they're discarding stuff in the oh, Bible. As you said at the so, outset, yeah. we, we, we were only taught mm. yes. a limited selection mm. of all the nice stuff really mm. and uh, we were never taken through all the other stuff which which makes up the majority of the text. Yeah. And the contradictions that are inherent within it that you can, mm. you can choose uh, an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth or you can choose to turn the other cheek. Mm-hmm. You you can just choose whichever action. You can choose that uh, someone who's a sinner must be uh, flayed in hell in the everlasting fire for eternity, mm. or that you shall not cast the first stone. You know, it's you, all... You can choose to eat shellfish, or you can choose not to. You know, you can choose... Yes. You can mix cotton and synthetics, or you cannot. I mean, these are sorts of guidelines in that book which people are are either adopting or not adopting uh, <laughs> all the time. Yes. Yeah. Let's uh, – we should mention – Can I just ask yeah. one thing? So, yeah. Peter, I get the feeling, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you seem to think that it's the actual power of the ideas in Christianity which led to this sort of worldwide movement followed by, you know, hundreds of millions of people? Or is it the life of Brian factor where it's just some inherent need in people, particularly in groups of people, to latch on to something? I I find it hard. I think I have to accept both. That is that there's got to be a point where it snowballs, you know, that the – Look at any political movement. You know, the original people have said, well, that's not what I set out to do. You know, they lose control of the movement. It becomes something they didn't mean it to be. That has to have occurred. But I can't help but think that, again, if I accept the existence of Jesus was a real person and then then 
there's got to, something's got to fill that gap. He must have said something. He must have been an orator of some did, standing. Did, to- did, he, <laughs> did he? Because really. It's about St. Paul, isn't it? Because you haven't spoken about St. Paul. Oh, well, so well, let's yeah, give people yeah, a bit okay, of background about St. Paul. Well, so, this is the question of the myth, the, yeah. the, mythic, the mythicist point. Does, does Jesus exist or not? And, but, but, uh, but also yeah. St. Paul, um, the Apostle Paul, he lived from about 4 BCE to around 62 to 64 um, CE. Yeah. So, uh, so he was, you know, lived at the time of Jesus, although he never... Met him, correct. Um, and his letters and his writings predate the, the Gospels, so uh, so he really kicked it off in a sense. Mm. Um, so when he was writing, he was writing without any reference to the Gospels, and he made no um, no real statements about Jesus the Man in terms of his biographical. No, that's right. um, Activities, where he was born, yeah. where he went, what he did. He talks much more in an ethereal sense about Jesus, the Lord, and um, basically um, he speaks of a mythical figure rather than a flesh and blood human being. And um, he doesn't really talk that much about Jesus and his activities on earth. Um, his message is that Jesus died for our sins and all who believed in him would be saved. Hmm. That was his sort of yeah. big I wouldn't say he, thing. I think he does speak of Jesus as a real person, though. He, he does, but yeah. uh, it's such a minor part of it. Yeah, and it's yeah, sort yeah, of, right. yeah. It's more of a mythical, the Lord Jesus uh, as a godly figure rather than the man uh, Jesus. How, how I would put it is that mm. the, the, the two, two things to say about Paul is that um, mm. the majority of the text is all... You know, as lawyers, we would say it's hearsay. It's right. it's writing down what somebody else said. You know, mm-hmm. a story. You know, I've got all these records together. Uh, as the Gospel of Luke starts off, look, I've got all the material together. I've put it all here for mm-hmm. you. Uh, there are some eyewitness accounts in in other books, but they're not accepted as 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 real. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul's letters, though, are unique. They say they talk. He talks about what he did. Mm-hmm. I did this, and I went there, and I did that, and I said this, and all that sort of stuff. So they're sort of. They're unique in that sort of sense. Mm. Um, if you accept that Paul existed and even Richard Carrier accepts that Paul existed um, and the rule in history is when you have people who write a letter and they say, my name is Paul and these, this is what I did, doesn't mean everything that's in it's true, but, but we accept that they're, they're Paul's letters. Mm. Um, the only thing we've done is that we've identified some of the letters we think are written by other people, but there's a collection maybe about six or seven where we're confident that they have the same author mm. because it's the same Greek, the same way of writing the same ideas. Yes, but scholars yeah. basically have come to the conclusion that about six of the 13 letters are not, are not Paul at all. They can just tell And as writing. I would put it, seven of them are. Right, yes, yes. <laughs> Which yeah. might positive as opposed to the negative proposition. Yeah, that's, so, yeah. so, there are, so six of them are, are real letters by a real person, yes. if you accept that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. then if you read yeah. those... Um, it could, it could what, be the writings of yeah. a madman. Yeah, that's right, exactly. Because he talks about revelation because he, he openly says... What I know about Jesus, yes. I didn't get from any human being. Exactly. No man told me anything about Jesus. That's Everything right. I know about him is yep. through revelation, yep. is through God yep. speaking directly to me. Yep. Do people understand that out there? <laughs> well, that's the thing. That's but, contradicted, but, though, in but, Acts. Yeah. But, but, but the, that's thing, is, Hold on the thing is, the thing is that, 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 that you, tune, you tune into any of your favourite TV shows on Sunday morning evangelists, 
they still have to be somewhere. <laughs> you know, they, it's not everything they say is made up. So, so you know, the, the, the point is that, of course, there are things that are in the letters of Paul which I don't accept are real, like yep. the miracles and things like that. But yep. uh, if you read the letters of Paul, getting back to your point about what he mm. says about Jesus, mm. yes, he is only concerned. He's not concerned with the backstory. Yep. No, his mm. point is that by, his, by Jesus' resurrection, yes. he is, well, declared or appointed, depends which version of the Bible you go to, Son of God by his resurrection. That's all he's concerned with. Mm. He doesn't relate anything prior to that. It's, it's like it's irrelevant. Yes. So he's only concerned with the fact that Jesus is son of God because he was raised from the dead. Mm. And that's and, and then he goes on to say, and basically the, the end of the world is coming, he will come back. Yep. So you better get, repent get your, because your, it's going to get hot if you're not. Get your house in order. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's his message. That's, that's yeah. all his message is. So yes. he doesn't really seem to... Now, of course, he's taught all these letters are to an informed audience. He's not yes. writing to people who haven't heard the story. These are established churches, so probably there was another story that went with it, but these are letters that he's writing to people who have already converted, and his problem is they keep wandering off and listening to other people, and he has to keep bringing them back in line, hence he has to keep writing his letters. But these are infor- an informed audience, so in some way I, I, I would expect that he would not have to reiterate a lot of primary material because... They've already sort of heard that in that sort of sense. Heard what part? Well, I don't know. That's the hard bit. They haven't bit. heard any biblical detail, any biographical the, the detail. The hard bit is that there really is the search for the real Jesus. There's just not really much there. Mm. But if you get over the line and accept he was real, yep. there's this gap. So now when it, when we before we started, um, Peter, uh, I was saying, okay, so the mythicists, mm. so the mythicism argument is that Jesus as a man did not exist. That's right, yeah. And... Uh, asking you what do you think is the best argument to say that Jesus the man existed and your answer is? Uh, yeah, well, for me, oh, so I'll go back and say the, the mythicists have sort of two points. One is that they say that there's just not enough evidence. Like on any standard, when you look at the material, as you say, you go through Roman records, you expect to find record. There's just, there's just, there really isn't enough there to justify that. Mm. Um, secondly, they say... And if I need to push it further, if I go to the, as I said before, if I go to the gospel, we can find in the prior art base, they say, all those stories, we can find them. So it really is just this invention. It's just this big invention. Um, uh, for me, uh, I, I'm in the camp with Bart Ehrman, which is that uh, if you read the letter, if you accept that Paul was a real person and that letter is an authentic letter of Paul's, Paul says, I went to Jerusalem and I met Peter and I met the brother of Jesus. Hmm. And I can't get past that as okay, uh, but, uh, but that one yeah. that one line yeah. in all of the writings yeah, of that's Paul right. yeah. is is what you well, is, and it's, it's and it's a good one. Ehrman, admit, ex- Ehrman explains that look, if you're talking about the existence of a king with kings, okay, you're going to expect to find temples, statues, coinage, very important find coins because hmm. they've got. Figures on them, they've got dates on them, they've got names, you'll have monuments, etc., etc. If there's none of those, then mm, question mark, where's this king? Um, there's a separate rule for ordinary people. I mean, if you just dig up a tablet which just says, I, Peter, sell to you, Trevor, two camels for a certain amount, the, the historians say, look, that's, of course it's possible it's a forgery. Of course it's possible, even in back in those days, two guys said, let's make this fake document. Um, but the probability is, well, you have to accept it. So yep. the thing is, if you accept that Jesus was an ordinary person, not famous, and that's one reason why he doesn't appear in all the Roman records, 
Except he's supposedly yeah. going around doing all these miraculous well, things. Well, according, and, again, and, as I say. And he's then, entering Jerusalem on a donkey and he's then, people are applauding him. And if then you're having the discussion with someone who believes that the gospel is the, uh, you know, declared word of God and I'm saying that everything in the gospel is true, sure. Yeah. But I'm not saying that. Yeah, okay. I'm just saying that, look, that's all the stories. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah I get you there. Yeah. So, okay, so for you the key point is that Paul, in a letter, in one line, said, mm. I met the brother of Jesus. Oh, and there's other bits as well, but that's the central. As okay. you said, what's the most important yep. thing? Other than yeah. that, mm. what's the next, next best argument? Oh, the next best argument? Uh, I, I actually don't have one, I don't think. <laughs> I, I, it's, it's, it is pretty thin. It's pretty thin. It's pretty amazing. Trevor, I think you, you've yeah. been a bit reductionist with. Yeah. with uh, what's reductionist mean? <laughs> like you're a kind of re- trying to reduce Peter's argument to the, the thinnest possible. No, I'm, uh, actually, oh, I'm not, I'm not no, trying to reduce his argument. Is, I'm, I'm actually thin, I'm thinking of the know, listener who yeah. really hasn't known anything about the Bible, and I'm just trying to. Say to them what a lack of evidence there is. So I'm, I admit to do you that that's you, pretty good. Yeah. I'm like I'm not arguing with that point. Yeah, but I'm simply saying, other than that point, yeah. what else is there? Because well, normally, look, if you're only, constructing an the, argument, the you have three or thing four got, things you've tried. The only other thing you've got is this: How could so many people be? Uh, look, or no, I'll, I'll withdraw that. There's this question of legend. You know, after a mm. hundred years, legends. 40 years? Look, Paul's letters are written in 50 to 55, but these are letters to established churches. So these things actually occurred, these churches have been established before then. Could could so many people really be duped into thinking this was a real person when they weren't? I, 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 that's, that's a bit I can't get part as, part as well, past as well, that... that so at so the time many of churches Paul, there were have, already so many churches yeah, based on the life of Jesus. His letters written in 50 right. to 55, and there are so many of them, and there's so many did people. Did they spring up as a result of Paul? Or no, they but just I'm, saying his, up? I'm saying his letters are written to an established church, so these, these, have, these have arisen in the meantime. And Paul's not, okay. if Jesus was a real person and he was in Jerusalem, Paul's not the, Paul says, I'm not a witness to anything he did. So anybody who is a witness to anything he did is somebody else. So there so, are people so around. So these were Christian churches that, that Paul had started or had, had I believe, started up? No, I believe Paul had started. Right. I don't know that, but I believe he started. I, I right. think there's. Yeah. I think th- there were churches that arose out of his lifetime, though. Like after his death, that the that it, it's it, for me, it's a little bit hard to believe that someone didn't live around about this time. And Paul wrote some letters twenty years later, making all of this stuff up, and then Christianity formed out of that. It's a little bit. I'd be skeptical of that. Yeah, that's more that's a, a, well, a reverse that's a reverse skepticism. The other thing that the other thing that I find persuasive is that virtually all scholars, including all secular scholars, and there's a lot more scholars now that are not coming from the Christian tradition. All of them regard um, Jesus as a real person, except for I think there's only one well-known, reputable scholar, and then the people who dispute it tend to be commentators of the likes of Richard Carrier and. And this other fellow. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think not having a, a bit, a bit not like having my, that. My Christmas holidays mm-hmm. does not give me the time yeah. to go through the ancient yeah. manuscripts. So, not having the time to investigate it personally, yeah. but, but, I have to just trust like, the consensus. A bit like climate change. Yes, yeah. <laughs> you, have, you have to go with the consensus yeah. of science. Can, go can I go back to the point that yes. but it is? But the evidence is thin. Mm. I, I think it is thin. I, my story is that 
I'd started this reading a long time ago and just one of my colleagues just confronted me with, the, well, what about the, the proof of the existence of Jesus? And I went, oh, I've completely, what do you mean? Like, and I, I felt a bit embarrassed because I thought that's just my old Catholic schoolboy assumption. Yeah. I had yes. not even thought to examine that. Yes. Hence, I did. Yes. Um, and look, I think the evidence is thin, but listening to people like Ehrman, um, mm. if, if, I mean, if you think that Jesus was this great, amazing, popular, well-known person, um, yes, yes, you might expect people to have heard more about him. But if he was one of many uh, just if, if preachers was, who was thinking the world was coming to an end and they thought they were the Messiah, mm. and I don't think he was the only person in those times who thought he might have been the Messiah. Yes. It was yeah. a pretty common thing. <laughs> but, now, why he, why his message is the message that goes forward then and, and creates this global movement, I mm. just don't know. But, mm. but um, uh, it's just hard to get past that point that, that, that how could all that have happened, as you said, if, if so many people were duped so early on, not, not 100 years later, but within mm. 20 to 30 years? I'd be interested in knowing about these churches that he was writing mm, to and yeah. how they cropped up and who created them. So... For another discussion another yep. time. Just briefly before we finish up then. If we make just, the second episode. Yeah, <laughs> yeah just uh, briefly before we um, – just the Bible itself. Um, we've got the Old Testament, which is basically uh, really the Jewish Torah, plus or minus a few bits and pieces. Yeah. Torah's the first five books. So, uh, right. Yeah, so the Tanakh. The Tanakh, okay. So um, – uh, Christianity is the life of Jesus and the Gospels and yes. Paul and we've talked about uh, that makes up the, the New Testament. Yep. Uh, uh, next time we'll have to talk about Islam because Islam comes along and adopts the Old Testament largely. Well, oh, so that's your reference to the Torah. Yes, yes. that's right. So, so Islam in 600 AD? Yes. Uh, and according to the Quran, yes, the first five books of the yep. Jewish Scripture yep. are Holy Scripture. Yep. They are... Allah talking to Moses. Yes, <laughs> and, yes, and all the all the instances <laughs> where people would not listen to Moses, and he had to bring them back into line. Yes, so, uh, so it's yeah. kind of like a retcon of so. So the Old Testament is the original. Uh, the New Testament is the sequel. Uh, the Islam is is like a retcon where you wind back time and divert in a different direction. You know, everyone was a, it was a dream part of it, and then and then you've got uh, the Mormons, which uh, basically adopt. Christianity, but then say that Jesus made his way across the Atlantic and, and was involved in North America. And, it's like the cheap miniseries. And that's, well, that's like fan fiction where they've just taken the original idea and, and run off in a crazy direction. Yeah, so, made for TV. So, uh, yeah. so the Bible itself does have relevance to all of those faiths. It's not just Christianity, yeah, I mean, uh, but the, certainly the Old Testament. It's yeah. an important point that the, the God of the Jews, the God of the Christians and the God of, of, of Islam, they're all the same God. Don't forget the Mormons. Oh, I want to forget the Mormons. <laughs> but they're all the same God. Uh, yeah. If we look up in our dictionary, Allah, it says the God of Islam. But that's mm-hmm. actually corruption of the word. It is, it, it, for them, it's Arabic for God. So when they read, they say, well, Allah said to Moses, etc. I originally started thinking there must have been a different edition of the gospel that had Allah instead of God. But then I realised, no, that's just my bias. So, yeah. so the, but is that the same God? No, well, because do, do they think it's the same God? Oh, look, I I think politics and history divides the three religions now, such that they don't like to talk about it. But no, it's very clear from the Quran, uh, the Quran that the the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, books of Moses, they are holy scripture and they are 
Allah speaking to Moses. Yeah. So is the Psalms given to David and so is the gospel of Jesus. Jesus was a prophet and he was speaking of, of Allah. Um, these are, again, the commonalities which people don't talk about. No. Uh, I, I, people I, talk I, about the differences and the politics and the history. But, I agree, but, but agree with they, all that. They start, they're, all the, they're all the one God. Hmm. Do, you, um, do you recall the, um, the uh, professor who was sacked from Wheaton College, the biblical college in the US, for saying that? Uh, a few a, years ago, a few was a, been quite a few sacked for saying that the God yeah. Allah was the same God as the Christian oh. God. It gets it gets harder with the Trinity because the the Christians who want to say that well Jesus was God as well. That's where Jews and Muslims sort of no, 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 no. He's he's Jews say Jesus wasn't anybody, and Muslims say he was a prophet. But um, uh, the the use of the Trinitarian view makes a big mess of it all. I've I've asked this question of people. Uh, and they find it very difficult to answer that question. They don't want to say it's the same God, and they don't want to say it's a different God. Mm. What can they? What can they legitimately say? Mm. Well, it's it much underdone, and I, I wonder if the three religions could actually talk more about what they've got in common and what they've got apart. They might. That would have changed the history of the world, wouldn't it? <laughs> but, but, but no. But it's long politics and history is what divides them. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Did anyone have anything else that they wanted to add Did, as part of this discussion? I was wanted to ask Peter about the uh, discrepancies between uh, the Gospels and whether whether you you feel that you can have to what extent you can have a reliable account of the life of Jesus given the differences between the four Gospels. It, it, that is something that interests me, and so far I've come up with nothing. <laughs> I, uh, I just can't. The, the trouble with the Gospels. I mean, oh, I suppose the starting point is, I, I might go to Mark then first. If Mark is the first mm. of the um, uh, Gospels, then it's more probable to be reliable than the the one written forty another forty years later, say the Gospel of John. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I would maybe stick with Mark. Uh, Mark is uh, has some interesting elements. For example, the the last part of Mark which describes the events that occurred after Jesus uh, rose from the dead, many people accept that, that that's a later edition, that the original Gospel of Mark ends yes. with yeah. Jesus is not in the tomb and the women run away and don't, and and don't, and and don't, don't tell, tell anybody. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, for example, there are things about Mark that sort of resonate with me as this sounds like this is this is the first version of it. Why don't we just why don't we just stick with the letters of Paul and 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 what's in Mark, uh, and and that's what I'm thinking. I, I'll I'll draw the line there. I'll just say I won't I won't I'm not going to read Acts of the Apostles. I'm not going to base anything on that. I'll just stick with what's in Mark as the earliest version, the earliest story about Jesus's life, mm. um, and what's in the letters of Paul, the accepted letters of Paul. Yeah. yeah. So the resurrection is not critically important to you in in terms of belief in the historical Jesus. Uh absolutely yes, that's that's right. No, the, mm. the, the the resurrection no, I don't believe in the miracles or any of the myths <laughs> or anything like that. Mm. Mm. Right. Well gentlemen, I think we'll I think we'll call it a an episode that's about an hour long. I think it's a good one. And um keep it tight. And so can I ask yes. one more question? Just on a slightly more um, philosophical note, why do you think the idea of the end of the world was such a powerful one for ancient people? Oh, boy. Well, I think, I think it's, it's, it wasn't always the view. Um, so, for example, um, 
the Old Testament doesn't have many books that talk about the end of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, for example, um, one reason why they think that the book of Daniel is a later book, and Daniel's in the Jewish scriptures is one of the last books admitted to the canon. It's in a different place in the Christian book. But one of the reasons is, is because the last part of Daniel is this apocalyptic story. That's not normal. There's only a couple of parts of the Old Testament that are apocalyptic. Mm-hmm. So the, what I've read is that uh, if you dig up the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls, though, and you look at the writings of the Qumran community, which is about 100 BC to 70 AD, they're full of that. So I, what I've read is that this, at the time of Jesus, this was the big thing. Mm. But it had developed over time. Uh, early on, um, I, I, I don't think they had that view. I don't think the Jews had that view. Any idea why people latched onto that idea? No, but it, it, just, de- it just seems to develop that uh, maybe with politics and history that this, this massive confrontation had to things were coming to a head politically, uh, maybe. I don't know. But, uh, but it just seems to be that the, 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 the end, this end of days idea mm. is actually probably closer to the time of Jesus than it is to the time of the earlier Do you uh, think it comes about because of the Jewish community was always beholden to other political events and were always wanting spoiling for a fight spoiling Messiah for a fight yeah to that's come right back yeah, and maybe, yeah. bring them back I've to also power. Uh, Ehrman talks about that as well um, I know maybe Trevor wants to wrap up but uh, Ehrman talks about that as well is that the, the concept of the Messiah if Jesus is the Messiah and that's all Paul was saying he was um, the Messiah's got many different versions so uh, for example a Messiah doesn't mean you're a God uh, a Messiah just means appointed by God or anointed by God. Mm-hmm. So, for example, David might have been the Messiah. Uh, Cyrus of Persia, when he released the Jews from captivity in Babylon, mm-hmm. they called him the Messiah as well. Mm-hmm. But by the time of Jesus, it had evolved and there were people thinking Messiah is this great warrior king who's going to lead us out uh, or bring about the end of well, the end of the world but yeah. the new kingdom of God, etc., yeah. etc. So they were looking for a warrior king to, to get revenge on what had happened to them mm. and some guy just got nailed to a cross ignominiously is not really what they were thinking of. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, and as, as Paul's in his letters says, Paul, the Messiah. Paul, Paul and, acknowledges and that it's not an easy, it was not an easy sell for him, as he says in his letters. He, <laughs> no, says, no, he could sell ice to Esther. Yeah, that's right. He, he, oh, he, I have to he, give it to him. He, 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 he was an that. ultimate yeah. salesman. Look, yeah, what right. look what he has created. Yeah. 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 So, right. Okay. Anything else that anyone really want to get off their chest? Or, no? I'm, okay, I'm dear listener. So we normally talk about news, politics, sex, and religion. We'll probably get back to the usual stuff next week, but uh, I enjoyed this episode. It was a good one. Thank you, Hugh. Thank you, Peter. Yeah, Thank you, pleasure. 12 Man. To everyone in the chat room, I was so engrossed in the conversation I couldn't really just go in with the comments, but thank you for making them and I hope you enjoyed yourself in there. I hope you stayed civil. It looks like you did. So, all righty, that was great. Thanks very much. Uh, Tune in next week. Bye for now. Bye, everyone. Dear listener, not too long ago, you looked at your podcast app and saw that a new episode of the Iron Fist and Velvet Glove podcast was available to download. Did you silently think to yourself, wait, a new podcast? I like listening to those guys. If so, then you qualify as a potential donor to the podcast. Your donation will help cover some expenses, but more importantly, your donation tells the boys that they are on the right track and to keep up the good work. A dollar a show is all they ask. Go to their website at ironfistvelvetglove.com.au and click on the donations link. Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, First up, tell some friends 
let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing something at some time and you might be repeating something I've said. And when you're talking to your friends, say, hey, I heard this on this podcast and it's worth listening to. And maybe pick an episode that you think is a good one and direct them to it. Like grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and subscribe <laughs> on their behalf on their phone and uh, and just put the word out. The other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode and really the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from $1.50 Australian to, I think, $10 and various ones in between. It's really, what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, is it worth more than that, less than that? Whatever you get out of it, because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe you really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just, it'll be different for everybody. So if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event, you can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation. So you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners and that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks.